so there was a school in uh, Washington, a private school, that was having a unique problem. Their 12-year-old girls who had just started wearing lipstick, uh, many of them would go on break and put their lipstick on and then leave lip prints on the mirror. So they, the whole mirror would be full of lipstick prints. So this got to be a little frustrating for the custodian. So finally, the principal of the school brought the girls into the bathroom and brought the custodian into the bathroom and said, this requires a lot of extra work for him, so I just want you to see what is the result of all your lip prints. So he got a, a long-handled squeegee and went and dipped it in the toilet and then came and cleaned the mirrors. And they've never had any more problems with the lipstick. As this little note says, some people are teachers, some people are educators. <laughs> An educator. <clears throat> Very good. Anyways, I think we've all experienced times and events in our lives that don't go as we thought they would go, as planned. That would be an understatement for the Philistines, who in our study seven months prior had won the war with Israel. And they had taken the Ark of the Covenant of the God of Israel in the battle and proudly believed that this trophy was because of their god, Dagon, giving them the victory. Uh, so they were soon to find out that was a huge mistake. It was a devastating nightmare. The five lords of the Philistine areas and their people suffered greatly as a result. And the truth was clear. The true god, Jehovah, vindicated himself by proving their god was false. As you recall last week, their false god was laying really in shambles before the ark. So no town wanted the ark as we saw last time. The ark brought death, it brought pain, destruction, and so finally the lords of the Philistines determined we have to get rid of it. And they weren't really sure what to do. So that brings us to our study of chapter 6 and 7. The Philistine lords uh, seek the advice of their diviners, their priests, of their false religion, really those in the occult world. Now the Ark of the Lord had been in the country of the Philistines seven years. And the Philistines called for the priests and the diviners saying, what shall we do with the Ark of the Lord? Tell us how we shall send it to its place. And they said, well, if you send away the Ark of the God of Israel, uh, do not send it empty, but you shall surely return to him a guilt offering. Then you shall be healed, and it will be known to you why his hand is not removed from you. So, being a superstitious people, the leaders sought help from their diviners and their priests on how to return the ark. And so they were told to return it, but not to return it empty. Uh, they need to bring something, send something as a guilt offering to the God of Israel. They had no idea what to send. And so the diviners went on to say, well, here's an idea. Very peculiar idea, my dad. Okay, five golden tumors and five golden mice to represent you five guys and uh, representing the lords of the Philistines and all who experienced the plague. So the mice had ravaged the land, as you read, tumors or boils or hemorrhoids uh, had inflicted all the people. Uh, it just was awful. So, some believe the tumors or the swelling of the limbs or whatever that plagued the people could have been a form of bubonic plague because sickness is carried by mice and the mice were ravaging their land. Well, whatever the name of it was, regardless, it brought misery and death to young and old alike. Wherever the ark went, the plague followed. 
And as was the custom of diviners, what they would do is make suggestions. Let's try that and see if that works. So they determined that the local goldsmith should have a project, uh, that they would need to um, have a good donation of solid gold to make these objects. One might wonder who was the model for the goldsmith <laughs> to attempt to make the likeness of the tumors and uh, where they appear, whatever. Uh, and then, of course, there would be no shortage of mice to kill and make a likeness. So for these very proud lords of the Philistines to be under such an attack um, of their own bodies and their own people and their lands and their gods, really you would think, you'd think there would be some humbling or fear, you know, in their hearts. Everyone had heard of the stories of the God of Israel. I mean, the diviners are going to question them right now because they knew about what happened in Egypt many, many years prior. And so the diviners say to them, because obviously the lords were being very proud and, and arrogant about all of this. So the diviners said to them, why then do you harden your hearts as the Egyptians and Pharaoh hardened their hearts? When he had severely dealt with them, did they not allow the people to go and they departed? Now therefore take and prepare a new cart and two milch cows and which there has never been a yoke, and hitch the cows to the cart and take their calves home away from them. And take the ark of the Lord and place it on the cart and put the articles of gold which you will return to him as a guilt offering in a box by its side. Then send it away that it may go and watch. If it goes up by the way of its own territory to Beth Shemesh, then he has done this great evil. But if not, we'll know that it was not his hand that struck us, but it happened by chance. So, this was the test, this was the scheme, and the plan come, that the diviners came up with to test that this was the God of Israel who was really behind all the terrors happening to them. So the two milking cows were to be separated from their calves who were still nursing from their mother, and they were also to have the wagon hitched to them, which they had never had before. So try to imagine the drama of the scene. They take the baby calves away and they're crying and the mother uh, uh, cows are there and they suddenly have these big harnesses placed on them. Everybody's watching. Are they just gonna stand there with these big objects on them? Are they gonna start walking around the town? Are they gonna try to get to their babies? What are they gonna do? And so they watched. And uh, the normal response of any cow in this situation would be try to get to their young one, try to get back home. But if the cows pulled the cart and headed straight on the road to Beth Shemesh, which was the closest border town of Israel, then they will know for sure all of this is by the hand of the God of Israel. And so in verse 10, the men did what was told them to do, took the cows, hitched them to the cart, sent them on their way with all the things as they had been told. And it says that uh, the animals headed straight to the highway, lowing as they went, and they did not turn aside to the right or to the left. And the lords of the Philistines followed them to the border of Beth Shemesh. God has always been the God of the impossible. Of course, God invented nature and everything in nature, so he is quite easily able to intervene in nature as well and do the direct opposite of what he created these animals to do. They, they would only want to make a beeline back to their calves but they did the complete opposite. In reality, these two cows really were a light of truth about the God of Israel. And these unbelieving men, proud men, followed at a distance and watching. 
So what are they going to do now with the revelation of this truth that's been presented to them by the cows simply doing this? The hope in sending the ark away was that the mice and the tumors would leave as well, but now it is that they know for certain that it is the God of Israel who had brought all this wrath upon them when they took the ark of the covenant of Israel. Like so many people throughout all of human history, the evidence of the true God has been made known all around them. And yet, as is the case with these men, no one was eager to learn more of the truth about the God of Israel. You would think they would have come and said to the people of Israel, tell us about this God. He is awesome. He is, he is what he has done. We, we, we need to know him. We need to worship him. But such was not the case. They were going to, they thought they were experiencing bad judgment right at that point in their lives. That's nothing compared to the judgment that would come for, with eternal separation from God in hell and torment. You know, Romans, Paul talks about the whole world being on trial, and the whole world is about excuse. Whether you're a religious person who's grown up hearing all truth from the Bible, or whether you live in the middle of nowhere and don't even write or read, Romans 1.20 says, For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power, and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they were, are without excuse. Paul goes on to talk about the conscience as well. There is no one who doesn't have the light of God's amazing attributes and power in their presence to just look around and look out at night, in the day, the human body, etc. And yet people choose to ignore that, suppress the truth, and choose a God of their own making. So, the reaction of Israel then, in verse 13, is now the people of Beth Shemesh were reaping their wheat harvest in the valley, and they raised their eyes and saw the ark, and they were glad to see it. And the cart came into the field of Joshua the Beshemite, and stood there, where there was a large stone, and they split the wood of the cart and offered the cows as a burnt offering to the Lord. And the Levites are the ones who took down the ark of the Lord and the box with it, which had the articles of gold, and put them up on the large stone, and the men of Beth Shemesh offered burnt offerings, sacrificed sacrifices that day to the Lord. When the five lords of the Philistines saw it, they returned to Ekron that day. And again, I just think uh, of the witness they had and okay now we can go back and see if everything's better in our world so there was great joy in israel this little border town had been the place god directed the cows to go directly back to and it was about 15 miles west of jerusalem uh, beth shemesh was also i'm sure you saw in your studies a levitical uh, place of levitical city and so the priests were summoned and they knew from scripture uh, we know from this scripture here that it was probably may or june it was wheat harvest time and the cows stopped right in the middle of this man Joshua's field and everyone stopped work and were thrilled and we read that there was a large outcrop of a rock so it kind of served as a natural place as a altar to sacrifice so verses 17 and 18 we see that the five city-states of the Philistines are listed for us there and then their lords are just glad to drive away and ride away back to their own land. But the joy that filled this very happy day in Israel was sadly so short-lived as we see God's severe judgment. We read in verse 19, he struck down some of the men of Beth Shemesh because they looked into the ark of the Lord 
he struck down uh, of all the people 50,070 men and the people mourned because the Lord had struck the people with a great slaughter the men of Beth Shemesh said who is able to stand before the Lord this holy God and to whom shall he go up from us and so they sent messengers right away uh, to Kirith Jerem, saying, The Philistines have brought back the Ark of the Lord. Come down and take it up to you. We don't want it here. Initially, everybody was working in the harvest field, and they did the right thing. They called the Levites. The Ark is here. Get it down, and so on. And in reality, the Ark should have been covered, and covered immediately, because it wasn't allowed to be seen by anyone except the high priest. And in violating Numbers chapter 4, verse 20, many of the men looked into the ark or glanced at the ark of Israel, and they were struck dead. It's not clear really which exactly it was. But not even the Levites were entrusted, who were entrusted with transporting the ark were permitted to look at the ark. It was always to be a sacred furniture covered. Only Aaron and his sons, the high priest, would see it uh, once a year. So the Lord did not want the death to come to the Levites, and so that's why very specific care was to be taken and obeyed. But when the men of this town violated the sanctity of God's law and looked in or looked at, this large amount of men died. Now there's a discrepancy. Some think it was 70 men who died and that it was a scribal error that put in the 50,070 just because Beth Shemesh was not like a metropolis. But whatever, it doesn't really matter. That's not the point how many died. The point is that God is a holy God and his word is not to be violated and his word is not to be taken lightly. He is the same God today. This is not a different God. And both the pagan unbeliever, the Philistines, and the carelessness of the Jewish people who knew better both experienced God's judgment. Where were the priests at this time? Why hadn't they covered it anyways when they put it up on the altar? Were they not doing their job? I remind you how we learned that Eli's sons so flagrantly disobeyed, had no thought for God's word, and how they offered the sacrifices, and how they were immoral, and that kind of mindset just carried on. And they had no fear of God. We talked about that with Eli. No fear of God. In my reading through the Bible recently, I came across Exodus 20, 20, and I thought it was such a good point in this connection. Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid, for God has come in order to test you, and in order that the fear of him may remain with you, so that you may not sin. Big correlation between fear of God and living a life of obedience. No fear of God, no concern about sin. They go together. When there is an awe and a reverence for God, such a mindset is what keeps his people from flagrant sin. How often we are just like these people here in Israel. We know truth about God's word. We're familiar with commands he's given us. We know he's holy. We know he's just and righteous, and yet, so often we are careless in our attitude about our own sin, or we disregard truth of commands that we know, or we're just lazy to obey. And so often we pass on that mindset and that attitude anyways by our example to children. In wanting to teach our little ones that God is love and that he loves them and that, and that Jesus died for them and that he is our friend, I think that we 
often fail to balance that truth with the fact that God is holy and you should fear God and you should fear the result of sin. Sin is not to be taken lightly. We no longer have the Ark of the Covenant, but we certainly can be guilty of the thinking of these people here that we read about in our text. God is not like us. Sin has to be judged. For believers, he brings discipline into our lives and at times even premature death. That is clearly taught in 1 2 Corinthians and in the book of Acts. Um, there is a casualness about our view of God. I think that needs to change. As Jonathan Edwards reminds us, it is the absence of godly fear that signifies a lack of the knowledge of God. We have so much to be thankful for in the church age. I mean, that we can go freely into the presence of the Lord, into the Holy of Holies, as it were, whenever we want. We have so much to be thankful for. We can have intimate fellowship with God because of the death of Jesus on the cross on behalf of sinners like you and me. He has made it possible that we are forgiven all of our sins, past, present, and future. But never, never should this precious gift of salvation be reviewed, uh, uh, looked at lightly or carelessly, because it cost God everything. Israel wasn't exempt from God's judgment because they were his chosen people. God's severity is seen among the pagan Philistines with uh, how he dealt with them, as well as the men of Beth Shemesh. God's great love does not compromise his just character. There are many who profess to know Jesus or to be a part of the Christian faith, but they fail to acknowledge God's holiness. And instead, they've made up a casual God in their own mind. You know, the man upstairs and I, we're good. You know, that kind of thinking. And it is their own God. It is a God they've created in their mind. It is not the God of the Bible. He is not the man upstairs. Another important truth is the danger of ignoring God's word and the danger of the worship of objects. And look at Christendom and how they've been involved in such things. People identified with the Christian faith often put a higher respect and have a higher awe for an artifact, a piece of glass, a piece of material, than they do for the God of Israel. How confused and backwards is that? Even believers who have been born into the family of God can be guilty of speaking about their sins as if they're not so bad. Or let's just call it a different name. You know, I... That's been done very, things are just changed from a different name that makes it more palatable. But the truth is, he is holy. And when we sin, we violate his law. And even if it seems such a small matter in our own eyes, it is the sin that required the death of Christ and God's wrath and the curse for our sin being poured out on him. It's not a light matter. It is a blessed truth that all who have come to faith in Jesus Christ and given him their lives, we are forgiven of our sins. And God judged our sins when he placed them on his son. But do we actually tolerate behavior in our life that is the very sin that nailed him to the cross? God is the same yesterday and today and forever. And the holy God who struck down the Israelites for violating his word is the same God today. As I mentioned, Corinthians, remember Paul said, don't come take the Lord's Supper in an inappropriate way unworthy manner 
Some of you are diseased and sick, and some of you have died prematurely because of this. And this is the God we serve. He is holy and just, and we need to remember that. We need to remember that every sin we commit, commit even the little ones that we tend not to even think about, were laid on Christ as he took that curse in our place. So all that Christ suffered was because of your sin and mine. And keeping this in our thoughts and thinking about it and remembering that when you're screaming, when you're angry, when you're yelling at people you don't know in the car that just passed you or cut you off. And all of those sins are why Christ died. Because you're intolerant and you're self-centered and you're proud and you think the whole world should operate for your convenience. That's why Christ had to die. So I know from personal experience that sin the Lord's brought to my mind or just my use of my time and he's convicted me of and then you fall back or you forget and you don't obey and he always gets my attention because I am his child and he does discipline me and he gets my attention one way or the other. God is holy and we are commanded to be holy. So we really need to take this truth more seriously. And we need to do a better job, I think, in communicating with our children that it does matter when you sin against a holy God. So the people of Beth Shabash were uh, so disturbed by the death of their friends and family that the ark is sent on its way 10 miles uh, away. They took the ark to, of the Lord and brought it to the house of Abinadab on a hill, consecrated it to Eliezer, or him, so he would take care of the ark. And it's likely this was a Levite family. We're really not told anything about this particular family. But this is where the ark would stay for many years. The ark was actually there probably 20 years before Samuel began his ministry in, in Israel. And then it would be there almost 100 years. And not taken up to Jerusalem until David was king over all of a united Israel. And then the ark was brought up uh, in about 1003 BC. So the people had heard, had a hard time learning that the Ark of the Presence, uh, the Ark of the Lord did not guarantee God's favor. Just because you have this thing which was to represent God's presence, uh, that wasn't the heart of the matter. But submission to God, the God of the Ark, that was what was important. And even though the Ark had been returned, they were still under oppression by the Philistines and still quite disturbed by that. And so that brings us to chapter 7. And really, this is the end of the whole first section of the book. And the book's been focused on Samuel and Eli and all of that thus far, but we're going to switch to human kings as we start chapter 8. But I think this chapter really summarizes the ministry and life of this Samuel, who we've admired, appreciated his, his mother, her prayers for him, and this little boy, and who he grew up, grew up to be. And we really see him here. As the leader of the nation, as their spiritual leader, he says, um, he speaks to the people of the house of Israel, and he tells them, remove the foreign gods and the Ashtoreth from among you, direct your hearts to the Lord, and serve him alone, and he will deliver you from the hands of the Philistines. And the response of the people to Samuel, uh, of their idolatry, was to deal with it, to destroy these gods, and that they had taken in. The people also needed to confess their sins, surrender themselves to the Lord. See in verse 6 that they gathered at Mizpah and the people admitted, we have sinned. You're right. We have blown it. We have sinned. 
And so Samuel's functioning as their prophet, as their priest, as their spokesman for God, as their judge in dealing with um, issues that had to be dealt with. The people were genuine in their repentance, not because they had tears, but because they took action. When you repent, there is an action required. You stop or you don't. And that's what they did. They got rid of the false gods and uh, their tears of repentance had action that followed. So once the Philistines heard, oh, all Israel's gathered in Mizpah, let's attack. The people are concerned, but ever the prayer warrior, Samuel calls for a prayer meeting, cries out to the Lord, a lamb is sacrificed to the Lord, and we read in verse 10, but the Lord thundered with a great thunder on that day against the Philistines and confused them so that they were routed before Israel. The men of Israel went out of Mizpah and pursued the Philistines and struck them down as far as Bethkar. In verse 12, then Samuel took a stone and set it between Mizpah and Shen and named it Ebenezer, saying, Thus far the Lord has helped us. How often have we sung that hymn? And I know in the modern hymn books they've altered the the words of the hymn because nobody knows what an Ebenezer is. But I, I did look up the original hymn writer who wrote that verse to come the fount where it says, here I raise my Ebenezer hitherto, um, by thy help I've come. I mean, he based it on this passage in scripture. <laughs> and it's a great thing. You know, we don't really have stones today. We don't set up stones. But there is a way, you, you need to find a way when the Lord has answered your prayer, when he's brought you through something big, that you have a memorial that you remember him by. Whether it's a song God brought into your life in the midst of a difficult time, and when you hear that, you know he met you where you are. These, uh, can I cry? These are mine. Some of my stones. A lot of tears, a lot of pain, a lot of victory too. I think journaling is a great way to have a memorial stone. You look back and you see how faithful that he's sorry. Anyways, I love that they set up this stone as a memorial and as a memory because it means God is my rock. He he met us there. He gave us the victory. And we forget about it. That's why. He, Samuel put up the stone, the Ebenezer stone. So I hope you have stones of some sort in your house or in your music or in your journals that you can look back and see God's amazing faithfulness to you. And don't, because we forget, we just forget. We don't remember. And the older you get, the more you forget, the sooner you forget. <laughs> Everything's gone. So, anyways, this, as I said, completes the first section up and chapter 8 starts a new section you know what they had this great spiritual leader in Samuel but he wasn't enough they didn't want him they wanted to move on new generation comes on the scene we'll see next week we need we need we need we don't need you <laughs> we need a human king so as far as our application of what we've looked at today I just want to remind you to not forget to reverence a holy God and then secondly, to not be like the Philistines who, who saw and witnessed the power of God, but still didn't see their need for him in their life. How many people that is the case? 
And then true repentance does require action. It's a turning away from sin. I mean, this is what Israel did. They turned from the sin, the gods that they had made other than the true God of Israel. And, the, you know, that's us. We've talked about this over and over again. I mean, every week we can have a new idol. If it's not our things, if it's not our child, if it's not our spouse, if it's not our money, our body, our health, our whatever we think we have to have to be happy. That is our idol. And we need to repent just like Israel did and name it and call it for what it is and repent. And then don't forget about the victories that God's given you. Make sure you have your own memorial stones. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness. Thank you for your love and your mercy. Amen.